Welcome into episode 238 of the Sources Say Podcast, your go-to Kentucky basketball and recruiting podcast on the growing KSR Podcast Network. Sources Say is, as always, presented by our good friends at Justice Dental. Visit one of their two Lexington locations that's on Blazer Parkway and Wellington Way by scheduling an appointment online at justicedental.com or by calling 859-543-0700. You can even send a text message to one of their friendly team members at the same number to ask a question or make an appointment. Now is a great time to schedule your dental cleaning. Dr. Thompson, Dr. Justice, and their team strive to provide you with good oral health in a comfortable environment. The Justice Dental team looks forward to seeing you soon. I am your host, as always, Jack Pilgrim of Kentucky Sports Radio. Very happy to be joined by my guy, KSR's trusty videographer and the most passionate UK fan of all time, uh, my guy, Stephen Peake. Stephen, thank you for joining us. I think this is back-to-back, two in a row for it for us. Uh, yeah, um, I appreciate the, the title, uh, most passionate Kentucky fan of all time. I think a lot of people like to claim that, um, but, I, but I'm a pretty big fan, I'll, I'll admit. Go, dating back all the way to uh, like when I first, the first heartbreak, 1997 against Arizona. I was all in right after, right after that. Well, I, I always appreciate your passionate takes. Sometimes, you know, when you get into the 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 grind of the season, you kind of get consumed with the you know the X's and O's and the numbers and the you know just the 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 daily grind that comes with this, and you kind of get disconnected from the passionate fan side of things. Uh, so. I appreciate you kind of holding me accountable in that regard where it's like, all right, well, you, this is where you got started. Like you got started as a passionate UK fan and why you even started doing this to begin with. So I I appreciate you always coming on and, uh, you know, kind of lighting that fire under me as well. I think we, we, you know, we, we need a platform to be able to get those, those fiery takes out. So uh, you definitely uh, keep, keep me young in that regard. (laughs) Keep you young. All right, good. Good. What are you, 25? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll, we'll ignore that. So, you are back. You are back. We are here to break down Kentucky's 71-68 win over uh, the Mississippi State Bulldogs down in Starkville. But really, even less about that, but more so what is up, uh, what's coming up. Kentucky is set to face off a rematch against the Tennessee Volunteers at home at Rupp Arena on Saturday. Uh, what that game means, and, and even less about the individual game and what yeah, you know, the X's and O's behind all that, but big picture what's ahead and what Kentucky needs to do to A, make the NCAA tournament, B, what they have to do to make a run in the NCAA tournament. That's why we're here to break it all down, look at the numbers, look at the resume, look at what's what's ahead. So uh, real quickly, neither of us, we got we got the this road trip off for a change. Uh, didn't have to go down to Starkville. Our guy, Zach Gagan, was in charge of that one, but uh, a, a nice Nice win. It wasn't pr- very pretty. Uh, a lot of the same flaws that we've seen with this Kentucky team popped back up. Um, you know, they fought back. Something that we didn't see uh, against Georgia. Uh, I did like their ability to just close that one out and say, "All right, let's just get out of here with a win." That's all that mattered. You got to get out of uh, uh, Humph- Humphrey Coliseum with a win. They were able to do that uh, and add a quad one victory to a resume that only had one leading up to, uh, I guess, February fifteenth at that time. So. Desperate quad one opportunity. They took advantage of it. Uh, your thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, there was uh, there's a time in the game where you know they got down by a little bit, and you're like, you know, they could they could fold again, and you know, then you, you, you that's I don't know what would that have been three losses in a row. Uh, so it, it was big that they bounced back, um, especially being able to do it without uh, without CJ and without Severe Wheeler being in the being able to play. Uh, I know that's going to be big going into the Tennessee game, also. But 
you know, really liked what I saw out of Jacob Toppin. Um, and uh, being able to, to win a game when Cason Wallace, again, like, you know, he's not going to stay this cold forever. So I thought that was, uh, you know, another thing, too, that, that he'll eventually start hitting shots again. And when that happens and you can have a good game out of Jacob, get Oscar back to playing well, um, you know, this team should be able to make the tournament. But we'll see. Yeah, and you bring up Kaysen and, and his ability to slide over to the point guard spot. And, yes, he struggled. He went one for 85, and it was just a really, really poor shooting performance. And he's been in a little bit of a slump uh, just for the last several games. Just hasn't gotten a shot to fall. And, really, a lot of his threes just have not been even remotely close. So it's just kind of a, a, a night and day difference from what – you know, kind of separated himself early and what made him so valuable just from a pure offensive perspective to start the year. But now his value is coming as a playmaker where he goes 11 assists and one turnover. Steven, I thought he had a brilliant playmaking performance. I I thought his court vision was unbelievable. I I thought he did an amazing job of, of, you know, working the pick and roll, finding, you know, Oscar for easy looks, found uh, Jacob Toppin for a lob, got some highlight plays going, found the open uh, open three. Like, I I thought that was his best playmaking performance as a pure point guard that we've seen from him uh, during his time in Lexington. Did you see the pass he made? I think it was the first bucket of the game. It was a pass to Jacob Toppin where it was like, how did he even see that Toppin was open. I mean, yeah. eyes in the back of his head kind of a play. Um, and the way he was able to thread the needle on that pass also. Uh, I, if you guys are watching this, go back and watch that first play and watch what Cason Wallace was able to do there. It was really impressive. Um, yeah, that was the first first bucket of the game. Uh, I totally agree with you that Cason was able to help us or help Kentucky win us. I'm not on the team. Um, but to help well. Kentucky, yeah. <laughs> I would like to think that, uh, but to help Kentucky win without being without putting the ball in the basket, and to do it on the offensive end, like you said, eleven assists is that what you said, right? 11, 11 to one assist turnover ratio. Wow, I mean that's that's pretty efficient. It's, it's brilliant. I mean, yeah, it's brilliant, and and that's what. I trust he's built up so much equity with me, Stephen. Like he's done so much right this season that. I I trust him to get it figured out. Like, yeah, he's in a shooting slump, and, and his shots just really aren't even that close right now. But he does everything else so damn well that I'm like, all right, well, I'll, I'd will i take a 1-for-13, 1-for-14 performance out of him uh, every once in a while in, you know, because I know that he's going to bring it defensively. I know he's going to force a couple turnovers. He's going to get a couple blocks. He's going to emerges that go-to playmaker uh, that this team needed, especially with Savir out uh, due to injury. So I, I love what Kaysen brought to the table, even though he was you know, probably the worst scoring option for Kentucky, uh, definitely the best playmaking option and got everybody else involved. And most certainly everybody else did get involved, four finish with uh, at least 13 points, 18 for Oscar Sheboy, 16 for Jacob Toppin, as you said, uh, 14 for Antonio Reeves, and 13 for Chris Livingston. Uh, I'll have you kind of pick a guy that you want to talk about and, and who went well, but my guy, Chris Livingston, I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant, finally a breakthrough performance for Chris, uh, 13 points all in the second half. Uh, and, and it was a little bit of a, uh, you know, magic from the bench and not in kind of from an unlikely source, Tyler Ulis kind of coming in the clutch and, and yeah. uh, bringing his coaching presence, put on his coaching hat, saw a mismatch, uh, he was being guarded by a six foot two guard, and and I think Tyler kind of spoke up and said, "Cal, uh, 
mouse in the house, go go get that guy. Like we like Chris is six seven, two hundred twenty five pounds. Let him eat, and that's what Cal did. He said, "All right, yeah, I, I got you. Go, let's let's let this kid eat." He goes at him for like six, six straight possessions, and that's when Kentucky finally got things rolling in the second half, and uh, th- that was kind of the difference maker. I think the they get it inside to Chris Livingston on a one on one against a guard. They kind of trap him, and Chris feeds it to the to the left wing, finds Antonio Reeves for a three, wide open, and and uh, he sinks it. Cal looks to. Uh, Tyler Eulis on the bench and points at him like, that was all you. I, I got you. And then Kentucky didn't give up that lead for the rest of the game. They retook the lead, and then uh, for the rest of the game, they, they took it. So uh, shout out Chris Livingston, uh, an uh, unbelievable performance, and he's really starting to figure things out there uh, at either position, three or the four. He's really starting to figure things out. But uh, tip of the cap to Tyler Eulis for kind of putting a foot in Cal's butt to say, let's get this, <laughs> let's make this happen. Let's, let's work this mismatch. Yeah, I love Ulysses on the bench, and I love that uh, you know potentially you could have Rondo on there next year, and you know have two of those guys. Uh, Rondo with just a, just an amazing basketball IQ, and Tyler Ulysses is obviously showing that he has uh, a great basketball IQ as well. But I, I, I'll go and I'll say this first. I'll start with the positive, and then I have a negative that I want to kind of ask you about a little bit. Um, first, Antonio Reeves is my guy. Four of seven from three. He's kind of been on fire lately. He played it. That was thirty nine minutes. He just played in that game. I think he played the full forty. In Georgia, so gosh, that's that's a lot of minutes. I mean, that's 79 minutes in in two games. But those four or seven from three, it's getting to a point now where, you know, when he lets it go, I think it's going in. And I don't know that we've had that guy this year. Casey Wallace has gotten hot, you know, uh, early on. But um, when you know, last year when Grady, when at least in the month of February, when he let it go, I was like, that's that's three points. I'm. I feel like that now with Antonio Reeves, and I was also. That's why I was so shocked that he missed the the front end of the bonus. Um, yeah, and that kind of gets me to the negative from this game, and that's like what happens late in the game. You're up by 13. You're kind of cruising, and everybody. You could see it on Twitter. I was actually scrolling through some of the the tweets that I liked uh, the night of the game, and everybody saying, "Keep your foot on the pedal. Do not play stall ball. Do not take the air out of the ball." Well, why do we do that? It feels like, why do we do, why can't we just, okay, you're up by 13, let's win the game by 26. No, it's, we're up by 13, let's get out of here with a win, seems to be the mentality. Why is that? Because they did have to get out of there with a win, and, and I, I get it. I, I understand, like, big picture, when we were kind of teasing Cal earlier in the year about the grind, you know, we got to figure out how to how to grind. When the, the team was already grinding things out and the, the pace was already as bad as it was, and Cal said, well, we got to figure out ways to grind out wins, and all of us were like, no, like, we're trying to speed this up and we're trying to score points, not grind it out. What are we doing? And it was easy to make fun of that, but, but there is something to be said about, you know, the March Madness mentality of we just got to figure out ways to – just get out of here with a win. You'd like to do it maybe with four minutes to go when you're up by 13, not 10 minutes to go. So I, I understand the the mindset of look, we just got to get out of here with a win. Uh, yeah. You know, if yeah. you if you jack up shots quick, if you run recklessly, you pass recklessly, it could lead to turnovers, which could lead to momentum the other direction, scores the other you know other way. I, I understand playing cautiously and, and saying, all right, well we we've done enough to win. Let's let's reel this thing in. But there is also something to be said about you actually have to win that game. Like you can't just put your foot off the, take your foot off the gas and and ultimately lose the game. So I would also like to see them just get shots off. 
You know, I mean, like, uh, uh, Kinzel made a good point. They were gassed. I mean, look, you look at the minutes. I mean, it was like 36 to 39 minutes for, for you know, th- those five guys. So, uh, yeah, com- that's, a, that's le- a legitimate argument. But if they're in the game, let's try to get a shot off before that 30-second shot clock timer gets to zero because we got two, and I knew we were going to get at least one uh, in those final few minutes, um, and they got two of them. Actually, on the second one, did that ball not hit? I texted you during the game. Did that ball not hit the rim? On uh, Casey Wallace's three, it absolutely, it yeah, absolutely okay. Did. So the shot clock should have been the, at twenty. Yeah, the arguments absolutely were valid on that one. But but yeah, there's a difference between playing recklessly and just you know potentially costing yourself a win. But there's also milking the clock to the point where you're not even getting shots off, and then costing you a win as well. So it's finding that happy medium again. It shouldn't be February seventeenth. With five games left in the regular season, that we're we're fi- we're having these epiphanies and 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 getting things figured out in that regard, we got to find a happy medium. It's, it's a little bit late in the process, but uh, they did. They they got out of there with a win, and that's all they needed to do. It was the, the it didn't matter how ugly if they won by eight hundred or one, like they just had to get out of Starkville with a win and. They managed to do it. So, uh, tip of the cap to them for making that. I also liked, you know, the the presence of Duthiero brought uh, off the bench. I thought he uh, gave Kentucky some really good minutes, as always. Um, I, 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 we got to talk about Xavier Wheeler. We got to talk about C.J. Frederick and their injuries and how important that is. But if Adu is out for, or if if C, if Xavier is out for any given period, how comfortable are you with Adu uh, getting kind of the minutes that he got? Uh, I guess the last two games, really. Um, it's it's just from my vantage point. I mean, it kind of just feels like it's kind of up and down. You know, there's there is a time in that that Georgia game where Kentucky really missed Severe Wheeler and Casey Wallace out there running the point. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. And and so, but I do think I do has. I think he's a good basketball player. Um, just like I think Damian Collins is a great basketball player. Um, I do. At least, I, I I feel like um, I don't know. If, they just haven't played a lot this season. So putting them in in these crucial situations late in the season when they when your team needs a win, it's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. I, I like them though, but yeah, you almost wonder, man, if, if Casey Wallace can stay out of foul trouble, you got to almost play him in in Reeves forty. Yeah. So he so Adu had four points, one for one shooting, two for two at the line. Four rebounds and a block with zero turnovers in eight minutes. That is how Adu needs to be used. I, I think. I think playing him 15 minutes in the first half against Georgia was, you know, and it, it's not his fault that Kaysen goes down with two fouls three minutes into that game, and uh, he, you know Savier's already already out. You don't have any other primary guard options outside of you know Antonio Reeves. But at that point. Antonio becomes the scorer, or he becomes the facilitator, and he's just so valuable as that off-ball catch-and-shoot guy that 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 you need him to put points on the board. As we saw, like against Georgia, first half, that's what that's what we needed him in that role. Could you imagine, Stephen, if Antonio was the primary ball handler in that one, not being able to get his his scoring, his his shooting push? And then everybody else not working or else around him. So I, I get it. I, I understand why it worked out the way it did, but it's just not beneficial to him uh, in the grand scheme of things. And I think the way he was used uh, down in Starkville is exactly what we need from him to close out the rest of the year. You know, 10, 
12-ish minutes. It's perfect. He comes in. He gives you a nice little boost. He's going to defend hard. Uh, he's going to uh, attack the basket. He's going to draw fouls. I just really, really enjoy watching him work, and, and I think that's that, that's what I'm hoping for. And, and really just big picture, I'm, I have such big dreams of a Duthiero as a 6'9", you know, point guard, combo guard, what do you do to guard him type of guy in Lexington. Like right now, you're just kind of seeing him – find his footing like a baby deer, like just kind of barely figuring out how to walk and run and, and you know, kind of just kind of finding his footing. I think next year and, and hopefully beyond, I think Adu is going to be a hell of a basketball player and, and just knowing what he is and, and figuring out what type of basketball player he's going to be, what position he's going to be. It's, it's going to be beautiful chaos that I'm very much looking forward to uh, seeing long term for sure. Yeah, like I said, I, I really think he's a good basketball player. And I think once he gets, you know, he gets more minutes and he gets more opportunity, we'll start to see, you know, the, the, some of that talent come out. But I, but I think, you know, it, honestly, we wouldn't really be talking about this if if we knew the status of of CJ and and uh, Savier Wheeler. You know, it, that's that's the thing about playing Tennessee. Yeah, we beat them. Kentucky beat them last time, but uh, you know. CJ had a pretty good game that game. I think he had 13 points and he had a, where it was, a, he had like an 8-0 run by himself, I think, in the first half. Yeah. And, yeah. and so uh, those guys will be missed if they're not, if they're not out there. So yeah, I, I've been told that the expectation is CJ will not play. Um, I, I mm. think Savier probably, I don't think UK will have either of them, unfortunately. I, and I know there's a lot of comments about it and I was, you know, getting to it. There's obviously the speculation <laughs> out right now that Savier has this, mere, you know, uh, mindset where he's going to sit out the rest of the year and he's you know quitting on the team and all that stuff that's just not the case he is hurt he does have an injured ankle and the expectation is that he will be back this season as of tonight like as of as of right before the show started the expectation is Savir Wheeler will be back there's no underlying conspiracy theory there's no you know nothing extra going on um I it's it's a valuable piece that Kentucky needs back on the floor before the season ends. They they got by down in Starkville. Tomorrow is going to be a whole new ball game. You you got it done without Savier in the first matchup, and you know a lot of it was just because you had you see it, missing Savier and Damian Collins is a lot different than missing Savier and CJ uh, because CJ was getting shots to fall, especially there early, kind of set the tone a little bit uh, to, to open the game and. It's gonna be it's gonna be a, a pretty significant challenge. It's gonna be a pretty significant challenge having both of them potentially out uh, here at home against Tennessee. Yeah, and I, I'm going back to, to look at the uh, the numbers uh, from that original meeting, and I I, I can't find it right now, but I, but I do believe that Casey uh, Wallace actually he didn't shoot very well that game either, mm-hmm. right? So I mean, right. and they were still able to get get the win, so. If you can get a, a, a better game, uh, a better shooting game out of Casey Wallace, I'll have to look at the numbers. I'm sure he, you know, he dished out several assists because uh, he had to play point guard for most most of the game. Um, and I would like to see what Damian Collins can bring. I, I liked again. I he comes off the bench and he's just ready to dunk on people. And I really like his jump shot. And I I've say it over and over. I really like Damian Collins shooting the ball. He has a nice touch on his jumper. He'll ne- I don't know if he'll ever be allowed to shoot threes. But we watch him in warm-ups. I know it's warm-ups and no one's guarding him. But here's the thing. When he elevates, who's blocking his shot? Like, he's shooting down at the goal. So uh, you know, maybe he gets you know, some more minutes uh, tomorrow and, 
and has another good game at home. Yeah, that's what uh, Cal said this this summer was talking about Damian and his progress and who he is as a basketball player and called him Kevin Durant. He said he was doing Kevin Durant like stuff because he did shoot down at the basket like KD, who's a you know seven foot freak of nature, you know, one of the best scorers to ever touch the basketball, one of the best pure scorers. So uh, obviously it's it's unbelievable, you know, far stretch. Like that's just kind of big picture. The, the the potential trying to you know hype a kid up that needs some confidence and things like that like obviously uh, he's not Kevin Durant but he does do some of that type of stuff that uh, definitely going to be excited about and uh, yeah I, I think Damian could have a, p- a potentially a good game although Tennessee is kind of known for being rough and ragged and, and very physical yeah. this needs yeah. to be an Oscar you know dominate the post it, the way Kentucky won last game was by dominating on the on the glass uh, and I remember. That was right around the time, Stephen, that all the you know the, the scouting report stuff that the coaching staff wasn't doing their job in, in terms of scouting teams and things like that. So there was like a big topic of conversation everybody was wanting to bring up. Oh, how prepared is Kentucky for for these games and things like that? Um, and I remember Bruiser Flint the day before the Tennessee game said, "Well, I think this game is going to come down to two things. Uh, I think it's going to be it's going to come down to whether we limit them from deep because the you know in the games that they've won, the big games that they've won, they've gotten hot from deep. In the games that they've lost, they went ice cold from three. We got to be able to limit that. And we also have to beat them on the glass. They're a really good uh, rebounding team. We're a really good rebounding team. We got got to figure uh, figure out a way to do that. Uh, and they dominated in both of those areas. And they, and I would argue." For my money, they they did both of those. Um, held Tennessee to three of twenty-one in the first game, fourteen point three percent from deep o- overall, and then won the competition on the glass, forty-three to twenty-three, a plus twenty on the glass. Uh, I mean, I don't see that happening again tomorrow. That's kind of an anomaly, but the mindset the mindset still remains that if you you know kind of beat them at their own game by just kind of playing that tough nose, hard fought you know style style of play uh, this is a beatable Tennessee game they lost three of their last four before uh, this most recent win against Alabama they are vulnerable in the in those areas and if you can capitalize on that and just kind of be better at them what at what their game is while just doing whatever Kentucky does you know even okay to fairly well if they can do both those things uh, this is a very winnable game and a game that again I hate to keep dragging on about this and you know must win this, must win that. But yeah, we still are in that. You got to continue to stack wins. Got to continue to stack quality, you know, resume building performances on top of each other. And because of some of the early setbacks to start the year, you kind of are put in a position where you, you have to continue winning these games. Yeah. And going back to some of these, uh, some of these numbers here, the, uh, offensive rebounds, Kentucky 13, Tennessee four, um, you know, I, I remember Drew and I were at that game. We both went into uh, TVA, uh, Thompson Bowling Arena, thinking there's no way that they're gonna that Kentucky was gonna win this game. I think they were coming off that loss to, to South Carolina at the time, and uh, you know, and got down early, but they really did as the game played out, kind of match up with Tennessee well. Um, mm-hmm. Tennessee, of course, was a top five team at the time, um, but you really thought, I man, Kentucky's not. Even even if, um, you know, even if Tennessee was was hitting shots that game, it just felt like the, Kentucky was matching them pretty evenly. I mean, they shot three of twenty one from three. That's not not very good. But Tennessee's not. That's kind of what Kentucky wanted them to do. They're not a very good three point shooting team, so make them shoot threes. Um, 
But, you know, going into this game, it's weird. They haven't beaten Tennessee twice in a season in the last seven years. Mm-hmm. That That's pretty, that's wild to me. Uh, yeah. I think Tennessee's beaten Kentucky twice more recently. And that's where all the hot takes were coming out that Rick Barnes owns John Calipari. And that's kind of, you know, yeah. after the Tennessee, after uh, the SEC tournament this past year, that was kind of the narrative that, you know, Cal just has not been able to beat Rick Barnes for whatever for whatever reason. I think that's why the win in Knoxville, because of how, you know the desperation factor of how much of a must win it was at that time, uh, because that was right right in the midst of, of Kentucky's biggest difficulties. You needed to win that game, but it was also a narrative win. You know, just just from a PR perspective, uh, just getting that monkey off your back with Cal. That that you know, just Tennessee is, is just had his number uh, for for whatever reason in recent years. So. Yeah, that that number seven years since since being able to beat Kentucky twice and or beat Tennessee twice in the same season, pull off the season sweep. That's that's a heck of a stat, and it's uh, it. How, how does that make you feel going into this one, especially knowing well, not good. Kind of uh, no, what, but knowing what was at stake at stake for both of these teams going into this matchup. Um, you know they both went on a, a you know bit of a, a bit of a cold streak, won, lost back to back games, and then kind of had a, a pretty sig- signature win going into this one. Both teams are kind of at the same spot just in terms of current momentum. So curious your thoughts uh, th- your your thoughts on that. Um, well, yeah, I think that it would make sense, wouldn't it, if that streak ended this season? You know, with everything that how wonky the season has gone that 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 this would be it's kind of like when Kentucky ended the the losing streak to Tennessee in football in a year that they mm-hmm. finished five and seven you know that's it would be <laughs> it would just be perfect to do it that way um you know I don't look I don't care how good teams have been you come into Rupp Arena it's hard it's hard to get a victory there I don't care how good you are unless you're South Carolina but there it's typically Too coming in yeah but let's, let's be real. Although the fans that were there were loud, that was not the same building even that we saw against Kansas. And I think you're going to see a pretty good environment tomorrow. That, that crowd in the Kansas game, the, I mean, where I was sitting in the, the second level in the press, press area, I mean, it was shaking throughout the game. Um, it wasn't exactly like that for South Carolina. So I do think that, that the fans you know, are going to bring it. I think that you know, there's a home court advantage for a reason. And, uh, you know, it's – look, I, if you ask me this after the Georgia game, you know, this is a loss. But just riding these waves of emotions throughout the, this, this season, you know, I'm going into the game tomorrow confident that they, that they could pull it out. I mean, cautiously Sean optimistic. Wagner, Sean Wagner says, can we hit enough threes without CJ to win? I think that is a pretty significant – storyline because of the difference that CJ made in that first one kind of just you know he set the tone he got the shots to fall and uh, you know really kind of shut down the momentum that Tennessee was trying to get and uh, you know I I thought I thought his presence was crucial to not have him and to not have Xavier Wheeler either uh, you know as the kind of change of pace tempo guy uh, in a game like this where it is kind of a, a rock fight. You know, Tennessee does like to get in these rock fights and, you know, to have Savir kind of be that change of pace guy. Those are two really crucial pieces and valuable pieces that could have could have made a big impact in a positive way. Uh, and, and I'm curious, uh, does Kentucky have enough firepower without either of them 
to pull off uh, a, a win. Well, you know, you look, CJ, obviously just his presence on the floor is what Cal always talks about. Even if he's not shooting well, Cal wants him to keep shooting because it keeps that, you know, keeps the offense, keeps the defense uh, spread out. Um, he shot three of nine from three in that game. Um, so I definitely think that you can get, um, you can get that production I think he hit, now. It was, I think he hit his first three though, right? Or, or it, it might have been something like really that. Hot. I think, yeah. I think that's what the, yeah. And then I know he had one that was like super unlucky, like right, like five feet from the basket and it went off the back or went off the glass and then around the, the basket in and out. Um, but yeah, I definitely think that you can, I, th- I like the way Reeves is shooting the ball. Um, you know, I don't know how many threes you want Jacob Toppin taking. Um, you know, we love that mid-range jump shot at Kentucky. Not a lot of schools are doing it. Kentucky, they're doing it. They're doing a lot of it. Um, but, I, you know, I'm look, just looking at the points scored. I mean, again, Kaysen Wallace had zero points. He had five turnovers and six assists. I think, I think you're going to get a better Kaysen Wallace tomorrow. I really do. And uh, that's a game. Tennessee was the runner-up in his recruitment. So going to Knoxville – you know, the, the school that you picked Kentucky over a, a team that you did respect and, and a program you did respect so much thrust into the starting lineup for the first time as, you know, the only option with Savir out. Like that one was a, a you know, a, a pressure filled game that I thought even though he shot poorly, I thought he did do a lot of other things well. And in that environment and in that setting, I think I think he did a heck of a job. But I agree. Uh, I, I do think in, you know, Taylor made says, let's be honest. Uh, Tennessee played awful in, in Tennessee. They missed four or five layups. But Kentucky didn't play a perfect game either. Like, it was an ugly right. slugfest rock fight that that one team had to win, and Kentucky made enough plays to do that with, you know, kind of a, a slower second half in case and, you know, not shooting the ball as well as he needed to and things like that. Uh, I think I do, I do agree. I think Kaysen is going to be ready for I think he only shot moment. like three, three times that game. Yeah, especially after the cold streak that he's been in the last several games, it, like it just feels like Kaysen is bound for a breakthrough very shortly. You know, he's already he's been doing everything else really well, but I, I feel like a a fifteen point like you know seven of twelve shooting game is coming for Kaysen or something like that. Yeah, and I think if you can get that kind of production out of him, he look he. He's got to show up for one of these big games. I thought, like you said, he he did a he played a good he played a good game a good enough game on Wednesday to compensate for the lack of uh, scoring. But he's a really good ball player, and he, we know that when he gets to the NBA, like he's gonna be we're gonna be watching highlights of him going, man, where you know where was that? It would be nice to see one of those games, and this would be the a great time to do it. Um, like I said, he only shot the ball three times against Tennessee in the last game. And I know that was the game. I think he had just came back from the back spasms. And so I know he was, he was right next to me on the Kentucky bench with the, with the back race on for, for uh, at least a little bit of the first half. So It was actually fascinating because that was the game that Jacob and Kaysen were both game-time decisions. And it was kind of like a, yeah. oh, no, how terrible. You know, we don't know if we're even going to get either of them. And they were both available and they both played and it was two surprise uh uh unavailable guys that were that were out uh, in Savir and in Damian Collins the last time around so uh, I, that that part is pretty fascinating to me that that yeah K- Kaysen wasn't even supposed to play in that game and and you know it ended up being Savir that had to sit out unfortunately and, and that was a shoulder issue that popped up midweek midweek during practice so 
that it's it's going to be a tough yeah. one, absolutely health wise. I do remember Tennessee missing several wide open layups, it, and some of them were like pretty bad. They were wide open, but like you said, Kentucky also uh, did. It wasn't like Kentucky came out and played absolutely amazing. I don't yeah, know. Do you think we've seen them play to their potential this year, Kentucky? No. Do you think we've seen them play? Have we seen them play to their potential yet? And, and I've thought that. I, I'm like, man, this team has so many different pieces that have done so many good things in different environments and different settings and, and combining you know, two guys playing hot off of one another in one game and then one guy going cold the next and the other guy not playing well. And like, uh, There have been so many in-and-out dynamics that – I remember one of John Calipari's go-to, you know, Calisms over the years is, you know, you, he wants four guys on a team. Uh, he he wants four guys on a team that are capable of scoring 25 points on any given night. And this team, I think, has that, you know, has those guys, and, and I think they have. I don't know if, if we've seen it this season, but over the course of the two seasons, you know, we know that that Kaysen is a guy who can do that. We know Antonio Reese is a guy who can go for 25. We know. Uh, Oscar Sheboy is a guy who has gone for 25 this season. Jacob Toppin, you know, the, there are the pieces on this team that, that are capable of uh, of going off on any given night. Unfortunately, we just have not seen them do it together. And I think that's the most frustrating part is, you know, we, we've been waiting for that breakthrough moment where, you know, the Tennessee, at, Tennessee game at home last year where everything was just falling. Yeah. All of the pieces were, were kind of working together in harmony. Uh, and that was kind of the breakthrough moment of that team where Kentucky started kind of going on their hot streak. So it's just it's it is kind of frustrating that we haven't seen that moment yet for this team. But I, you know, I, I, there are still five more opportunities. And last season it was against Tennessee at home. Maybe that's what the, that's all it takes this this time around. Yeah, that was the time uh, it, I left Rupp Arena that day thinking that Kentucky might be the best team in college basketball. It's it's so yeah. weird to think that that was. Uh, that was January 15th, 2022. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We were talking about Kentucky. Are they the best team in college basketball? And it feels like it's been so long since we've, you know, since we've been able to say that. But that, they were that close last year, and, and I agree. That was the game that felt like everything, they figured all these things out. Bryce Hopkins hit a three in that game. Um, and uh, that was a game, too where I really thought that was a good opportunity for if you kind of knew what was – if Kentucky knew what was going on, and I hate to bring this up, man, but I just this is the, the thing about last season and this season that it just kind of, you know, I think for a lot of Kentucky fans was the most frustrating part, was that that was a, probably an opportunity there to say, hey, look, we don't need Shaden Sharp to win games this year. We got Ty Ty Washington. We got, we got these guys. We got all these guys hitting shots. We just scored 107 points. Do we really want to mess with team chemistry? And by adding this this guy in and forcing him in early, when these guys didn't think he would be here, that was a good time that you could have done that. Maybe saved a little face, possibly. Because now, I mean, I just think about what Shaden Sharp would be on this team. And I know you you saw the highlights that came out uh, this week uh, of some of his, uh, well, he's missing the dunk contest. But after seeing that dunk, I see why he was invited. I mean, whoa, it's crazy whoa, whoa. to think. Sh- Shaden Sharp is opting out of something? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's strange, isn't it? Um, you know, you think you know he's a dog. He wants to go out. He wants to compete, man. You know, you get these opportunities to play Kentucky or to be in the dunk contest. You know, co- competitors want to compete. And if there's anything I know about Shaden Sharp, he wants to compete. He wants to get out there and no. Uh, so 
it would be, you know, I really think Shaden Sharp, man, he really did a number on Calipari. Like, if Cal had him last year, they don't lose to St. Peter's. They probably go to the Final Four, look at their path. They might even win the whole thing. This year, add Shane Sharp to this team. It's totally different. I just watch, I watch those highlights, and I'm like, he would be doing that at Kentucky? Like, this would be a totally different team. As a matter of fact, we, Kentucky would probably be the cool school this year. Yeah, and I got into a, a, a debate about this on my radio show this past Sunday where they were like, well, you know, B.J. Boston was supposed to be an elite three-level scorer and, you know, sort of naming off different guys that underwhelmed at, at Kentucky. And it's like, I, I don't think you understand what Shaden is doing in the NBA right now. Like, Shaden is is but just because of minutes. He's not, like, putting up ridiculous numbers every single night, but he's doing things – in the NBA against NBA competition that is out of this world. Like if he's doing it against that, I don't care what yeah. setbacks or limit, you know, if you think that that Cal holds certain guys back or whatever, like there is a 0.0% chance that that guy is not an all SEC talent at Kentucky this year. And like, that's just a fact, like yeah. hate on him all you want. And, and like, I get it. But like that guy is a 20 point per game scorer at Kentucky. And like, I don't even think that's, it's up for debate. Like that's, that's an NBA talent that is thriving in the NBA, not like playing bench minutes and barely surviving and things like that. Like, this is a guy who is thriving from day one in the league. And all the stories I heard, like, okay, so backstory about his time here. I was always told that it was frustrating watching him play, you know, in pickup games and things like that because he was so clearly talented and, and so so clearly the best overall talent in that entire gym but you just had to like you know prod him and, and tell him go and, and, and the motor issues were of concern and even when NBA teams were in there watching him work out they were like this guy doesn't even look like like he's just so nonchalant about everything that he does how is that going to translate to the next level if he plays in a real game situation does he have the firepower does he have the killer instinct blah 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 all, kind of all the same stuff that we said about Brandon Miller in high school, kind of the same narrative that he was just kind of bored out there and was, you know, just not really caring about the competition. And it's kind of unfortunate that I think that was probably the case with him where he was just better than everybody else out there as is. And he knew that he could step on an NBA floor like yesterday and put up 20 points on any given night. So I think that's where the frustration from on my end comes from is I I did hear that he was that talented that I did hear that he was an NBA talent maybe he didn't have the motor that you wanted but he had all the talent in the world to be that guy yeah and again Shaden Sharp on last year's team that's a Final Four team Shaden Sharp on this year's team it's a Final Four team uh, that that uh, just hearing you say all that that just makes me uh, it makes me a little sick honestly <laughs> because. Just to think about what, you know, we're just, we're, the conversations we've had all season just would not, we would not be having them if he suits and, up and plays this season. Yeah, and, and I think the frustration is because Antonio Reeves, like, there was a very brief overlap where Shaden had entered the draft but was still telling everybody, and it was one of those without an agent type deals, and he was still telling people around the UK program that he was planning on coming back, and, you know, his family was saying it was coming back, and, you know, UK was working under the assumption that he was returning and still recruiting, you know, Antonio Reeves. Like, I mean, it was a very small window, but they were. Um, the idea at that time was to bring Antonio in 
and be kind of that microwave Lou Williams, kind of Jamal Crawford guy off the bench type deal and, and be the, you know, spark plug scorer while Shaden is kind of, you know, hooping and, and being a superstar in, in the starting lineup. And you think about it and you think Antonio Reeves has, has been, you know, sensational. Like I've been really successful. I've been, I've been really excited about his success and, and how he's been able to find it and, and how it has been a pretty seamless transition from Illinois State. Like, yeah, some hiccups, but I think for the most part, he's, he's lived up to the expectations and, and the hype, but it was never supposed to be an either or type of deal. Like it was supposed to be Shaden as the main guy with Antonio as the complimentary scorer piece. And I think that's where the like, oh, dude, like how do you not get all warm and fuzzy inside thinking about that? I mean, now sick, but thinking yeah. of what that possibility was supposed to be, yeah, that was a Final Four team and it's hard to hard to argue that. Well, it, it's and, you know, I don't want to talk about Shaden Sharp. Is for, I know somebody said here that you know no no use in worrying of what could have been and that's that's true but just you know there is an alternate reality out there where uh, possibly where where you know uh, Shaden Sharp does play on last year's team or comes back uh, and does or you know doesn't doesn't cla- reclassify and is able, and has to come back and play this this one season and um, and things are very different I think the attitude towards Calipari is very different. I agree. Winning, winning just cures all of that. So, you know, nine and sixteen, St. Peter's, all that stuff is still there. But if the team was rolling this year, if they were in the top, we wouldn't. It wouldn't be as as and and really, uh, because like you said, it wasn't a a, a a Antonio Reeves or Shane Sharp that this was pretty much. It would pretty much be this team, correct? Plus yep. Shane Sharp. Yeah, and I yeah. mean, like, would have taken a lot of heat right. off his teammates too. So and John P. Ryan said, but then why not go after another transfer when Sharp left? It was like they could have, like they could have gone after a fifteen point per game scorer at Pepperdine or something. But like, that's well, not replacing a top ten lot, you know, draft pick who is already very good in the NBA. Like, it, it was super I, maybe, late too, wasn't it? May, that he announced it, it was late. Was, yeah. It was late. It was, I mean, right, pretty, pretty up close to the deadline. So it's like, yeah, it sounds great, and but who, who are you going to get that was going to outside of just another body? Who are you going to get that was going to be the difference maker? On the, I don't know. I'm still fingers crossed that we we put this thing together and everything's all right um, to close down the, the regular season. Drew Franklin jumps on, says, <laughs> "Are we going to win tomorrow or no?" It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be. It's absolutely going to be a tough one, Stephen. I know um, things worked out in Kentucky's favor the first time around that, that led to their win. It was kind of a combination of Tennessee sucking at, at what they were good at while also Kentucky kind of doing better than we had seen from them at, at what we hadn't been very good at leading up to it. So I, I, I get that uh, vibe check right now. Where, where are you right now, Stephen? I know you said a little bit ago that you, you thought they could win, but do you truly – Truly believe that a win is, is happening tomorrow in, at, at Rupp Arena. Yeah, I love. It's like you don't actually believe that, though, right? No, um, uh, I'm I'm confident. I'm, I'm um, I I don't know why. Tell me tell me why I should be confident, and then maybe tell me why I shouldn't. Um, uh, the the spread came out as did did you see what the spread ended up being? Um, I I did not. I'm guessing uh, Tennessee was favored. I'm uh, just pulling it up right now. So four point 
underdog. Kentucky in the opening line is a four-point underdog, and I think that's about fair. Um, I mean, Tennessee is coming off of a pretty s- substantial statement win on their end, uh, beating Alabama, uh, you know, pretty comfortably. They looked really, really good in, in that one, and. Uh, yeah, I feel I feel okay. I think it's just it's just frustrating because you never know what Kentucky team you're going to get. You never know if they're going to come out, you know, looking to throw the first punch. You never know if they're going to come out wanting to play a physical brand of basketball. You don't know if you know who's going to make shots on any given night. You don't know if if guys are going to play well together in one game and then not the next. So. That's the frustrating part. Of, so I was just on an SEC radio show with Tony Delk asking me questions. It was pretty cool just a you know, huh, UK awesome. fanboy moment. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was really cool. And, and he was asking about you know just what's the vibe of this team right now and, and the expectation going into this game, going into the Tennessee game and just the close out the regular season. And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I, I don't know what you're supposed to expect going into a Tennessee game where they are so successful just being a physical, tough, defensive-minded team. Like, Kentucky has done really, really, really well against some of those teams. They've also crapped the bed against some of those type of teams. So it's not like Kentucky has found some perfect formula against certain teams and, you know, one certain type of team has really struggled against Kentucky or Kentucky struggled against them. Like, there's just no consistency about who's going to show up on any given night. And that's why, like, to, to predict tomorrow's game is just like, they can, yeah, they they can. They they did down in Knoxville, but will they? I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine because it just depends on what Kentucky team decides to show up and what individual players decide to show up on, on any given moment. So that's why I'm I'm going into Rupp Arena tomorrow all confidence and uh, and expect all gas no brakes baby. Yeah, absolutely. I expect I expect a victory every time. Every time I think I I walk into Rupp Arena, I expect Kentucky to win. Uh, even when I, when I was covering games for uh, the news station um, during COVID, even when it didn't like, there, there's no reason to. Just something about going into Rupp Arena. I, d- I just don't ever feel like I'm going to leave there uh, with a loss. Um, and I think that this, I really expect the crowd to be into it tomorrow. I think there's there's only like a few marquee games that you get at home this year. This is marquee game number two, and it's was it February? It's gonna be February 18th, and you got two, you got two big games on your home slate. So, this is one of maybe you can you can throw Arkansas in there for your week for your your weekday. Um, the nine uh, o'clock game. one, I, yeah. I guess. Are are you concerned that the last time the crowd was invested the way that they were against Kansas at home? Kind of a very similar situation, a Saturday game. Everybody was you know wrapped around the building leading up to it. The excitement was there, and. They, they had the moments, and, and Kentucky had its chances to win that one, but couldn't put together the stops. And that's my biggest frustration with this team as of late. Mm-hmm. They let you know a, a, a pretty crappy offensive – Georgia and Mississippi State, not very good offensive teams, uh, let them both you know find success in, in different areas that they hadn't been successful go, you know leading up to that game. That was very frustrating, and, and this it does seem like this team has some pretty glaring defensive flaws – that I'm concerned that they're going to have enough shots to fall to win tomorrow, but I'm also a little bit concerned that they can't put together the defensive stops uh, to that, that are necessary to to pull off a win. Just like I mean, exactly like what we saw against Kansas at home, where they they had a strong first half and and they did okay offensively, but just couldn't string together stops in the second half to pull off the win. 
You know, and I'm, uh, I was going through uh, Brandon Ramsey's uh, uh, Twitter account. Uh, he's, he's, I love his positive energy. Um, it, it's, it's pretty Nobody good. Nobody more positive. No, no. Um, and I kind of wanted to, uh, to talk about this. I said the Wildcats are averaging 1.099 points per possession over the, over the last 10 games. Even in losses, offense has not been the problem. And it kind of goes to what you were yeah. saying. I mean, like, yeah, even when the offense is, you know, it stops stuttering and you have five or six possessions in a row where you score, which is what happened in the Kansas game, well, you also gave up five or six possessions in a row. And Kansas hit, I think, three threes, whereas Kentucky, I think, got all twos. So not only did you, you know, you didn't make up anything. Actually, you, you lost ground. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that, it's a concern. Getting Calipari's teams have always been great defensively. Um, yeah, where is that coming from? Because they have all of the physical tools to be elite defensively. Like it, it really doesn't. Add, I mean, it's easy to to kind of see you know single out Oscar for you know his struggles and you know in the pick and roll and in in those areas, but. It, it's not limited to just Oscar. Like, everybody on the team is having way too many miscommunications and, and lapses and things like that. Uh, they have all the physical tools in the world to be to be at least good. Like, not even not – even, shoot, I'd take average at this point. They, they haven't even been average. I, I just – is it just limited to a mentality thing, you think, Steven? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a few times when you see when a guy gets beat or he's got him on his hip and you have that 80-20 – you know, just give him 20% on the shooter so that, you know, you don't completely leave him. Um, and, you know, we're seeing guys stick, like, just go with the shooter, and then they got a wide-open layup. I know Cal, you know, loses his mind when you leave a guy open for a three. But I think the bigger problem for Kentucky is they don't really have a rim, a rim protector. Oscar's not that guy. And I felt like in the, in the Arkansas game, Collins came in and was able to be that a little bit. Onyenso and Collins both are probably just not ready. And I think that's, a, a, you know, one of the issues. I do, I mean, again, Tennessee got to the basket against Kentucky quite often in Knoxville. They just didn't finish their layups. So I do wonder, um, you know, again, I am not one of those people that says, if you just go into a zone, then all your defensive problems are fixed. I don't believe that. However, I do think in switching up your defenses every once in a while, maybe if you're getting burned on, you know, man-to-man and, and pick and roll and stuff, I don't know. Are there other options? Are there defensive schemes that could that could defend against that? And and let me ask, why is it that Cal is? I mean, again, he's had great defensive teams. Why though is it that 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 we're just gonna just let teams get layups? How I mean, he's watching the same games we are, especially when. It's the mindset of like you know we're we're going to let you score on us in the same way over and over and over again, but, but you know no we're, we're not going to change change things up. We'll, we'll get things figured out eventually. But when you do go zone and Cal has thrown it out once in a blue moon, but when he has, it's always been the mindset of we're going to give up one open three pointer. You know what you get one zone buster out there and they they take advantage of it. And then we never see it again for the rest of the game. So I just don't know why he hasn't been as, you know, just, and it's, I hate agreeing with Chris Mack because he's Chris Mack, but <laughs> there was a lot of truth to, it's not going to hide all of your deficiencies. It's not going to just mask all of the, the clear, you know, just whole real flaws that this team does have on that end of the floor, but it at least gives 
the the opposition something to think about. It, it at least adds a new layer of stuff, you know, for, for the opposition to go, all right, well, we can't just keep attacking in the same way that we have over and over and over again. We at least have to, you know, think one extra step or two extra steps or, or whatever. It, it creates that dynamic of at least something is changing. At least there's, I, I just don't understand the mindset of just doing the same thing over and over and over again knowing that you're being exploited, you know, outside of just subbing out Oscar when he's getting destroyed in the pick and roll. Like, you can't just use that as your crutch because you need Oscar on the floor. Like, you you do. You have to figure out a way to have that happy medium of understanding that he is very bad in some areas, but that he's also the best in college basketball and others. Finding yeah. that happy medium has just been way too difficult for this team this year, and it's kind of troubling that we are at February 17th, going into February 18th, against a top 10 opponent, and, and those questions are still very glaring and, and just kind of staring us right in the face that UK could get exposed in that area once again tomorrow. Well, I know that if you're Calipari and you got these guys uh, that, you know, you have you have pro aspirations and there's, I mean, is there anybody on the team that doesn't have aspirations of playing professional basketball when they leave Kentucky? So I understand, especially when he's trying to recruit the best of the best and get, you know, he likes – those players who are good enough to go after their freshman year, how much time do you spend teaching them a zone defense that they can that they will not use at the next level? I understand that, and it's probably, um, you know, he's if if you're if you're players first, then you won't waste their time teaching them that, or you know, getting making sure they're really good at it. I get you know, it. yeah. And and so I'm not saying that they, that they don't go over it in practice. Obviously, I have no idea. But I'm just saying I understand that in the, in the limited hours you have with them, is that the thing that you are going to try to, you know, is that the thing you're going to try to get them to learn in in those in the few hours you have with them? Or maybe you can learn an out of bounds play and see if there's better out of bounds plays out there or something. I don't know. But there's um, that that I think is why we maybe we don't see it. Uh, as much as we would like to, because you notice that when a team goes into a different defense against Kentucky, we have to at some point call a timeout. So at least if by switching up defenses at the collegiate level, unless you just got you know really five guys out there who know how to like all right they're in one three one and we can let's roll we know what you know you're 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 probably going to force the team to call a timeout at the very least. Mm-hmm. You might force them to a couple turnovers. And just keep them on their toes. Like, if they know I'm just going to get a, you know, get a bump from the top of the key and try to beat my, beat, you know, see what, just kind of read the screen and see if I can get to the rack, uh, that then they're just going to, like you said, they're just going to keep doing it because it seems to be working. And every coach keeps saying, they, they keep exploiting it. It's weird that they say it out loud like that and that I'm sure it gets back to. I mean, what are you going to do about it? Like, they Kentucky, it's literally like they're saying, like, like, we know how to beat you. And they're like, I, yeah. And then Kentucky's like, yeah, good job. You do. Like, I mean, you think, stop. That should not be in a press conference ever again. Like, that should not be said by another coach. We should not hear Rick Barnes going, well, we've been seeing on film how easy it is to attack Oscar. Like, that, that conversation or that, should, that interaction with the media should not happen. Or having your own associate to the head coach saying, well, Alabama didn't exploit anything. Everybody oh, yeah. knew that Oscar can't can't defend in the pick and roll. It was like, is that the message that you want out there? Like, like 
Yeah, you didn't prove anything. We already knew it. Yeah, totally. we already knew we sucked at that. We're gonna, we weren't going to try it, to fix it, but we wanted somebody. We wanted people to figure it out first. We saw it yeah, before they did. Just very weird, weird messaging there. But oh well, four point underdog. I, I think Ken Palm is projecting a sixty nine sixty five victory for Tennessee. Another low scoring affair. I believe the the uh, over under set at one hundred and thirty three points. Do you like one hundred and thirty three points there, Stephen? One hundred thirty three. Um, yeah, I mean. It, I, I don't expect this to be the game where Kentucky gets to uh, what? What was the what Cal wanted to average? Was it eighty or eight, was it eighty or eighty-five? I don't think this is. Yes. Yeah, I don't think this is the game where that happens. So, I'm pretty comfortable with where that's at. Um, yeah. So it's you know the script is what it is. The the game plan is what it is. Tennessee is elite defensively. They don't shoot the ball extremely well. It's it's a slugfest, but they're unbelievably physical. They're uh, you know very gifted, very you know strong-willed type type of team, and and they do a lot of things really really well. Uh, kind of from a mindset perspective, that Kentucky has <laughs> <laughs> that Kentucky has struggled against. Uh, Drew says, "Does DJ Wagner duck the smoke, or does he run up the chimney?" Uh, I like DJ a lot, Stephen. I don't know about you, but I, yeah, you know nothing. Nothing about the last twenty-four hours has made me dislike DJ anymore. I guess is a very uh, PG way of putting it. Can I kind of say like it made me like look? He didn't. He didn't hurt anybody, right? Okay, so I'm. I don't want him throwing punches because then he can't play in games. But it's they did they did suspend Camden for the rest of the year like they're it's over like they canceled like end of the rest of the season, so that's that are you wow that does suck yeah that sucks for yeah, they, they, him they, and they kick both they kick both teams out of the playoffs so they they cannot run it back mm. they, they were trying to um, they won it all last year the, I think the first Camden's first win championship run in like twenty years or something like that and and. They were going to run it back, and they were on pace to do that. And one little scuffle, and mm. season's over. And look, I will say, all right, some behind the scenes. I'm surprised that this video didn't get out there because a couple people tweeted it. Uh, the the spring, DJ got in a fight at uh, in Indianapolis up at the EYBL stop where there's this dude guarding him that was chirping the entire game, just talking trash the entire game, like just over and over, every single possession. And DJ was like, come see about it. Meet me outside. And do, and like, let's, let's handle this if you want to handle it. And they went outside and handled it. And it was, it was just one of those deals. Like, unfortunately we've seen too many dudes that have played at Kentucky that have just not been about it. Like, Pardon me for wanting a dude that will put his money where his mouth is and show some damn toughness. Like, I need somebody. How frustrating has it been, Stephen, to hear constantly Oscar say, we need fight, we need fight, we need fight. I just wish somebody would fight with me. Nobody is wanting to fight with me. It's like, now you got a dude who's actually fighting dudes. Like, <laughs> pardon me for kind of liking it, you know? Where was Bradshaw at in the middle of, of all of that? Was he involved he was in involved. any way? He he was he was holding holding back and okay. you know he was this this one I think was blown a little bit out of proportion. It was ugly, not a great look, I guess, just from a PR perspective. But you know, they're heated rivals. It's high school. Like 
it's not acceptable to just you know th- throw hands every chance you get in in that type of environment. No. But to and the reason why it started was kind of you know they kind of gave a cheap shot to DJ saw a, a cheap shot to his teammate and DJ got you know rambunctious. He got he was something that happened to his teammate lit a fire under him. Yeah, that's I like it. Refreshing. I need that. I need that's that. Re- it's and, refreshing a little bit. And FT said it's the Camden boys. Lance got that fight in him too. Exactly. How dope is it whenever we see Lance come in the game and, you know, a dude kind of chirping in his face and, like, Lance kind of giving him the crazy eyes, like, I will kill you, just so you know. Like, I like yeah. it. I want my I want my dudes to show that kind of fight and show that type of intensity. I love Lance it. was so. talking a lot of trash to the Tennessee student section in that last game. I loved it. And, uh, and honestly, uh, you know, DeMarcus Cousins was fortunate in 20, uh, what, 2009, 2010 in that Louisville game with a little uh, forearm to Swapshire. But, uh, man, when you got guys like that um, that have that, like, you know, I don't want to say have that fight in them, but, but they, they – I like seeing players that play with emotion. And in hearing that DJ was actually sticking up for his he teammate was. makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, look, Cousins, I'm sure, got in several fights. And when he got to Kentucky, he was – I mean, he was a pretty good kid. I, I don't think anybody has anything negative to say about DeMarcus Cousins in his time at Kentucky. So we can't we can't have DJ throwing hands at the at center court at Rupp Arena. We can't. It you just can't do that. It's like okay, we, we you got me there. But a guy willing to fight, a guy willing to uh, will Rob Dillingham fight DJ Wagner about shot selection? Maybe. I mean, that's possible. Maybe as long as I get as long as I get it sorted. Look. There ain't nothing wrong with a nice little square up, you know, throw, put, put on some gloves, square up, and, and take care of business and, you know, brush it off. I, I like it. You know, it is what it yeah. is. And if that's what it takes to get, you know, two alpha male individuals like DJ and Rob to sort out their differences, I, we're making up hypotheticals about not like, yeah, I can see a locker room issue brewing already. No, that's stupid. Yeah. Oh, but, no, no, no. I just, I, I, I like that. But it is. These are the two competitive guys. Like like the person yeah. said, with tenacity, very competitive, and they and you know John Wall playing with a little bit of chip on his shoulder. Like I, I love all that. Yeah. I want to see these guys talking a little bit of trash. We saw it in the Ar- we talked about it the last time we did this. The Arkansas players who had the same record as Kentucky, you know, hitting shots, and they're just barking at the Kentucky bench. Um, I know Matt talked about it on the, the show today that. The Arkansas player said something to Calipari. Apparently, the bench, the players found it funny. Maybe it was funny, but it is, you know, I want to see somebody step up and and you know, you know, maybe not throw a punch, but come on. I do got into it with a Georgia player. I was like, yeah, let's like, come, like don't I back down. That. Yeah, he that, a jump that. ball, and he was like, I'm not getting, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving this ball up. Yeah, they were both holding it. Yeah, it was. I, I love that. Um, Michael TB, does that flopping loser Vescovi have any more eligibility? I'm sick of that guy. And I think uh, Connor Riggs said over under 10 times Vescovi hits the ground. Bro, this dude drives me up a wall, and I am very much, very much looking forward to his time at uh, Tennessee coming to a close. I am very curious. What what, what do you think about uh, you know how that's going to go? Because officiating was such a talking talking point last time around. Kentucky took advantage at the free throw line. I think they finished twenty two of twenty six. I think or something like that. Um, I don't have the 
stats pulled up in front of me, but but Kentucky uh, took advantage of the line in a game that that they could have gotten screwed in because because how many fouls that were called and it is kind of frustrating watching that all unfold because of Viscovi and some of the other players, Euros and a bunch of different guys who were embarrassing themselves. But yeah, I think the 22 of 25 Kentucky went last time around. So I think that's going to be a big, big factor. But uh, how many uh, flops do you think Viscovi's going to have? Yeah, well, you know, I just like that there's um, hateable players on a rival team. You know, that's, I would almost say that uh, Tennessee is like Kentucky's biggest rival in football and in basketball right now. Um, and so I like that there are players that, uh, that Kentucky fans don't like that are on Tennessee's roster. It makes the rivalry more fun. Um, you know, I like that the, there's the, the Rick Barnes, John Calipari thing. I think, you know, Calipari needs a villain. And Kentucky fans need a villain. Because it seems like they're making villains out of each other. It does feel that way a little bit. Um, <laughs> jump in Napier. on the yeah. Matt Napier. <laughs> Yo, Jack, what about DJ knocking that dude out? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he didn't knock him out. He didn't throw any punches. But, yeah, we just talked talked just like five minutes ago about it. I, I love it, man. I, I mean, you don't you can't have him actively throwing punches in a playoff game where your season will be over if you get suspended and I, it, not not the right place or the right time, but the mindset, he got that dog in him. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I can't imagine him doing that in, like, March Madness or anything. Hope not. Clearly, <laughs> could you, clearly could they'll, you have them, they'll be reined in a little bit. Uh, but. Anyway, well, I, I think that's plenty for this time around. We got so much good feedback, so many comments. I think every single show we're getting more comments and questions and concerns and, and all that good stuff. So I appreciate all the uh, good old feedback that we uh, we continue to get. I, I like the, the little uh, fan base that we're, we're growing with this and the, the community that we're building with this. Uh, we got to get out of here with uh, one final message from our friends at Sumner County Tourism. Kentucky fans. We know you'll be making your way to Nashville for the SEC tournament. We say welcome back. Experience beautiful Sumner County, Tennessee, just minutes from Nashville. Discovered our storied history and strong country music heritage. Indulge in our delicious dining options. Relax in the simplicity of our lakes, parks, and farms. Connect with the authenticity of Sumner County, Tennessee. Head to visit SumnerTN.com to learn more. Uh, Stephen, uh, let's get out of here. I, I'm going to put you on the spot. How do you think tomorrow tomorrow's game is going to go? Um, first to 71 wins. No. Uh, first to like 63 uh, wins. We'll go with, go with that. Uh, Kentucky, uh, what did they win by last time? Was it 63 to 50? I don't know. Something like that. I'll tell you what. I'll give you, I'll give you a new score. 66 to 60 Kentucky. Ooh, okay. A- Antonio Reeves, five threes. Yep, and then uh, do you think if they win tomorrow, that punches their ticket? Ooh, that's a great question. So we look at the the rest of the resume, the rest of the schedule. We got quad one at home against Tennessee. We got quad one on the road at Florida. We have quad one at home against Auburn. Quad three, you cannot lose that game at home uh, against Vanderbilt, number 91 on the net. That's a, that's a terrible, terrible loss. Big black eye on the resume uh, in the – committee's eyes and then you wrap that thing up with hopefully a win down in Arkansas down in Fayetteville um I do I think if you win tomorrow 
comfortably win it, make a statement. I think you got to win that one, and you got to win two of the other two. I think you got to win Vandy, obviously being one of them, and say you beat Auburn at home and you lose at Florida and at at, at Arkansas. I think I think you're in, and I think you're in fairly comfortable comfortably. Yeah, and I I think that uh, you know I don't know what what the highest seed they can get, but that's obviously another win against a you know you have two top ten wins. I mean, yeah, they're the same team, but. You know, that's still two top ten wins. What's the um, – look, they're probably not going to win out. But let's say that they only lose once over these next five games. What's the highest – I know you got to get out of here, but what's the highest seed that you think that they could get? What's, what's the best I could hope for? So right now they're 10, 11 or so, uh, depending on what bracketologist you're looking at. I think if you win out, if you close out with – five quad wins in the last six games. And if that Texas A&M slides up to a quad quad one, it's right now number 31 in the net. If it slides up to a quad one by getting in, in the top 30, I mean, then you are talking. So right now they're technically two and seven in quad ones, um, three, four, five, six, seven potential quad one. So you finish seven and seven in quad one games. I, I think, I think you could get back to like, six seed status set you know even maybe even a five i think it's a little unless you make a real run in in nashville then i think four is probably out of out of touch but i i think you're you're probably comfortable five six range if you went out wow i mean that would if you went out i mean and i know that's you know I mean, it is it's also unlikely. saying play, playing better than you have all season long and building a better <laughs> resume in the last five yeah. games than you did in the previous 30 or, you know, the previous 26 or whatever it is. So, yeah, highly unlikely, speaking. but we'll make it a goal. And uh, and why not? Why not start start tomorrow? You know, they I know they already got a win against Mississippi State, but last time that they started a six game winning streak, they uh, started it with Tennessee. So, you know, make it. Uh, one of uh, the next, make it one of a six-game winning streak again, and uh, I think people feel pretty good about uh, going into the SEC tournament in the postseason. Like people keep saying, just get in this year because it feels pretty wide open. It doesn't feel like there are, you know, four teams out there that are just unbeatable. So it is a get in and see what happens kind of season. So that I mean, it could be. I'm not saying that 2014 took a lot of breaks going Kentucky's way. Uh, they got really fortunate. Uh, but, you know, I do feel like, you said it earlier, they have not, we've not seen them play to their potential yet as a team this year. It'd be a hopefully, good time to start. Uh, hopefully they get their start tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon. I don't know if I gave a, an official prediction, so I'll say 68-63. Kentucky wins and uh, gets this little hot streak rolling that we're talking about. I, I like the optimism. FT says cats win out the regular season. Bring it back to this comment when it happens. I love the opti- optimism. Let's get out of here uh, with that. Steven, uh, where can fans find your work as you're showing us? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Can... The laptop died. So I had to go to, I had to go to that. My fault. All right. Uh, you can find my work uh, on Twitter at Stephen Pete KSR, but I prefer you go to YouTube, which is probably where you're watching this. If you're not, if you're uh, if you're listening, go to YouTube, hit subscribe, 
I do see, Jack, that we get a lot of unsubscribed viewers that watch live and they just don't maybe off the show with or share the screen next time and show the subscribe button. It's right. You can't miss it. It's right below there. So like you keep missing it. So if you can just go and hit it this time and <laughs> I'd really appreciate it. Yeah. Go on and hit that subscribe button. We, we cook up a lot of good content up here on this uh, YouTube page and, and continuing to, to come up with new ideas to, uh, for, for, for Kentucky fans to consume. So hopefully you hit that subscribe button and continue to enjoy what you see. So uh, we appreciate uh, each and every one of our listeners. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Jack Pilgrim, KSR, reach out to me via email, uh, jpilgrim at kentuckysportsradio.com and on a beautiful website called KSR. Uh, plenty of good content rolling and uh, hopefully – Plenty of fun post-game coverage to come, uh, hopefully after a win at home against Tennessee. Uh, we'll get out of here with that. We'll see you next time.